Now, this is Box to Box with Rob Gilbert and Michael Edgley. Oh, what a goal! For, for Chemist, Chemist Warehouse. Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The kings of storage moving and Absolutely fantastic! Hello and welcome to Box to Box, the show that is everything football. You're with Rob Gilbert and Michael Edgley to run the rule over the past week in the world game. First edition news with Willem van Dender and shortly, and of course, during the show we'll be joined by our 250-game veteran of the Victorian Premier League and former Notts County man Dean Hennessy and our former ITN journo turned pundit Derek Dyson. Now, in the past week, anyone who follows football in this country will be aware that long-term board member and administrator Heather Reid was voted off the board of Football Australia in what many regard as payback from a powerful group of men in the game in this country. Now, regardless of your views on Heather, she's given a lifetime to the game, had formally apologised for controversial statements of the past and was on record that she did not intend to seek re-election in October. So for the powers to be to not only dump Reid from the board, but to do so just days before announcing the 2023 Women's World Cup legacy program would be laughable if it was not such a serious issue. To discuss this in detail, we'll be joined by Dr. Catherine Ordway, PhD, Assistant Professor at the University of Canberra in the Sports Management and Integrity Faculty. It will be fascinating to hear what Dr. Orbay has to say on the issues at play and just how bad this makes the administration of football look only two years out from hosting, co-hosting, in fact, the Women's World Cup. Now, speaking of blow-ups in the game, we go from one at the national level to the ongoing fallout at one of our biggest clubs, the Melbourne Victory, with the public departure of Foundation board member and part owner Richard Wilson resulting in some nasty fallout. Richard joins us on the show to elaborate on his side of the story and respond to what most observers view as a pretty curt press release from the club and of course we'll wrap up the hour as we always do with a general look at the pile on of fixtures in the A-League as they continue to come about. In the second hour Willem will kick off with second edition news and the latest on soccer is Matilda Central and we'll stick to football on the field in the second hour with West Ham lighting it up in the Premier League. The Athletics Roshane Thomas will join us from London to give us his thoughts on the incredible season they're putting together under David Moyes. Lots more on the Premier League and FA Cup to go through with Dino and Derek Champions League as well and we'll wrap it up with a yarn about one of our favourite hobby horses, new stadiums replacing the old in stoppage time. So, Edge, um, yeah, look, you've been involved in football for a long, long time. You've got very strong views on the women's game and uh, um, you're not particularly impressed with what's been going on in the past week. Oh, well, hello, Rob, and listeners right around Australia on NTS News Talk Sport. I must say it's good to see you back in the studio, Rob. You would Thanks, went down with a mystery illness. Um, oh, no. uh, just for listeners around Australia, Rob looked like uh, a character, like one of the aliens out of Men in Black uh, <laughs> this time last week. He had welts on him. Uh, as far as the eye could see, but good to see you back, and uh, thanks, it's amazing what a steroid will do. Exactly, the, the wonder drug. Yeah, thanks to my specialist rheumatologist and my GP. I, I can't believe you, like, you've never looked better, Rob. Mate, I, mate he, he said I was like a geriatric, but yeah, now, mate, I'm fine, fit, ready to go. Well, I must say, it's uh, we often say a week's a long time in football, isn't it? And off the field last Friday, the controversy surrounding the respected women's football pioneer, and for many people in the game, the custodian of Australia's women's football journey came to a head and Heather Reid was sensationally voted off for the Football Australia board in a razor-thin uh, voting outcome. Willem will talk us through that in a moment, but he's got some more news right now. I do, guys. Great to be back for another week. Football Australia this week presented their Legacy 23 plan to Parliament House, seeking $275 million over eight years from all levels of government. The plan includes five key pillars to ensure the Women's World Cup leaves a lasting impact, with the highest priority on facilities development. $180 million has been requested here, focusing on female facilities upgrades and also the potential home of football site. 
And now it's been well documented, guys, that only one in five local grounds around Australia at the minute have female changing facilities. So you would expect that to change. But Rob, not so certain that we will get the home of football out of this one. And James Johnson has said, if we don't get it out of this, then we may never get it done. He hasn't been shy making big statements. And I suppose that's fair enough. Yeah, well, um, James um, was in charge when the Women's World Cup um, decision landed in our favour and, uh, you know, I've made some pretty strong remarks off the top of the program and we'll continue in that theme as Edge has done as well. Uh, um, I think it's incumbent on Football Australia to to get some pretty serious wins, uh, continue to get some serious wins on the board after the events of the past week because, uh, you know, it's not all about about, uh, uttering the right words and passing the right motions if you're not going to come through with... uh, some substance and uh, yes there has been a lot of substance come through but uh, uh, the departure of, of someone like Reed, in light of this situation that you've just outlined uh, is put into stark contrast so I think it just puts more and more pressure on to get actual decisions made and if dressing rooms at grounds and uh, the home of football uh, is one of those uh, or two of those issues then uh, so be it they'll be uh, used as yardsticks by which the Football Australia is measured. A little bit more background on the Heather Reid story she lost her place on the Football Australia board last Friday narrowly losing out by 51 to 49 percent of the vote. The AGM had been called by Football New South Wales who claimed Reid had interfered with the election of fellow board member Stefan Kamaz. In a statement, Reid thanked those who had, and I quote, joined her on the right side of history in rejecting football New South Wales unsubstantiated allegations, end quote. Michael, 49 to 51% shows clear division in the game. Going to speak to Catherine Ordway in a minute, but just for now, what were your reflections on the week just gone? Well, it's difficult not to view the outcomes through the lens of payback and recrimination, and sources tell me that it was football New South Wales, football South Australia, football Victoria, so uh, Anta Isaac, Sam Cicciarillo and Kim Ontel Eliodorus, who had an alliance with A-League club owners who sunk Heather, Heather Reid, um, uh, a group, I might add, of entirely men. Um, and the support Heather Reid had in Congress was predominantly women. Uh, leading women in the game are agitated at the outcome and they do view this as a group of powerful men silencing a woman and her important perspective. So, however, in football politics, that's the way the cookie crumbles and the sport will move on. Uh, the sun will come up tomorrow, but it's a... And not a good day for uh, gender equality and the status of women within football and I think we all should reflect on that. The Socceroos have been forced to withdraw from this year's Copper America after the AFC brought forward a number of World Cup qualifying fixtures. Australia have four matches to play in the first round of Asian qualifying with the second round to begin in June. This is of course at the same time as the Copper America and for the record the other invited side Qatar have also pulled out. Obviously no one's fault but a massive shame. The thing I was looking forward to most is that it's often at the major tournaments, the South American sides that do look Australia uh, leave Australia looking a little bit clueless. We often match up well against the European sides. We know the Asian sides very well. I mean, you think back, Michael, to Peru 2018, Chile 2014, got the better of them in the end, but they did come out and shock this. So hopefully it looks like relations between Conmebol and Australia are well, despite us pulling out. And there might be another invitation in the future, Rob. Yeah, maybe. And um, look, we heard Alan Joyce um, announce that uh, Qantas is, uh, you know, planning to start flying internationally later in the year, which is just a massive uh, uh, announcement in light of what we've all been through in the past twelve months. So it it could be a positive thing because I know you know Edge has obviously got a vested interest through the Green and Gold Army and wanting to to, to take people to uh, uh, events like that. So maybe it's a positive that if our if relations are still good and there's a legitimate reason which there was uh, for having to pull out, then we might get another 
another invitation at a time where people can actually go and visit and uh, and watch um, just the amazing uh, experience that these football in South America. What do you reckon, Edge? Yeah, absolutely. Football in South America is brilliant. Obviously, we did a lot of planning work. We uh, booked a lot of people on the on our tour program, which won't happen for the obvious reasons and the impact of COVID. Um, however, uh, in the recent weeks, Rob, the impact of vaccines around the world have given the travel industry generally more optimism that there is uh, a light at the end of the tunnel and that uh, soon uh, people will have uh, COVID uh, digital passports to prove they've been vaccinated. And uh, and if the data about the vaccinations continue to come out in the positive light about the impact it has on, on uh, spreading the virus, in other words, uh, the vaccine stops uh, the, the, the virus spreading, uh, there is a, a window of time that we just need to pass while people get vaccinated and we'll be on the big birds uh, going around the world again soon. And that's uh, something that'll make everyone happy. And a final one for me, the IOC has named Brisbane as its preferred bidder for the 2032 Olympic Games with their planning committee recommending they engage in targeted dialogue with the city. Brisbane was praised for its hosting of the 2018 Commonwealth Games. Other interested parties at this point include Budapest, Doha, China and Indonesia. Rob, this could obviously be massive for football. I remember last year during our show we did the retrospectives mm. on the Sydney Games and the football that was involved there. We had your brother on the show and you just think back to the, the wonderful memories people have of mm. football uh, at the Sydney Games. So that could mm. be magnificent. Obviously oh, bigger than football itself but would be good for the game oh absolutely it's massive and uh, and to have that come off the back you know several years down the track from the women's world cup uh, is going to be just another big big event to look forward to so i'm super excited about it i mean the olympics uh, uh will will live on and it's managed to live on for a couple of thousand years despite uh, um, all sorts of uh, of international issues and and uh, attempts to uh, to um uh to stop it for various reasons but uh, no that's super exciting uh, for sport in general but for football in this country what do you reckon, Hitch? Well, obviously, football plays a big role in the Olympics because it actually takes the Olympic Games out of the host city right around the nation. So uh, football will obviously be played in Sydney and Melbourne and Adelaide and Perth, uh, the women's and and uh, men's football. And, of course, mm. um, being a host nation, the Isle Roos... That's a good point. ...and the Matildas will the get automatic qualifications. So that's mm. exciting for, for football. Football will be one of the main benefactors of uh, the Olympic Games. Before I left for Sydney in 2000, uh, I watched the Australia-Italy match at a packed MCG, which Damien's nodding his head at. And uh, even though they got the better of us, the Italians, that was just a massive night, a couple of nights out from the opening ceremony. Yeah, and the next morning we packed the car and drove up and went to the opening ceremony. It's just the time of your life and uh, it's it's fantastic and staying in Brisbane the Raw's Larissa Crummer marked her return from a long-term leg injury with a goal in their 4-0 W League win last week 25 year old spent 758 days on the sidelines following her injury in January 2019 the injury required five surgeries and also led to her suffering compartment syndrome so fantastic to see Larissa back on the pitch Torpy drops the shoulder across it goes here's Crummer Larissa Crummer how about that for a moment in the Westfield W League? That's a bloody good story. Well, I'm to wrap up your uh, news bulletin. Well done, Larissa Crummer. Welcome back to the park. All right, uh, big uh, discussion next with uh, Associate Professor Catherine Ordway. Uh, we're going to talk about the departure of Heather Reid from the Board of Football Australia. It's uh, a situation that is regrettable. We're going to go through it in detail, and we will do that all next on Box to Box. Box to Box. Can you believe it? 
for Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The kings of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most crucial goal This is Box to Box on 9 Radio NTS News Talk Sport. Now, Australia's most recognised football administrator, Heather Reid, was not at Parliament House on Tuesday when Football Australia officials unveiled its plan to create a legacy from hosting the 2023 FIFA Women's World Cup. At a time when women's football is at the core of Football Australia's post-COVID recovery, Reid was voted off the Football Australia board by a razor-thin margin, leaving many observers scratching their heads at what is surely a Football Australia-owned goal. Reid has made an impressive contribution to women's football, a former national executive of the Australian Women's Soccer Association, the first female chief executive of a state football federation, a member of the 2015 AFC Asian Cup organising committee, and together with other influential football women around the world, lobbied FIFA to establish a Women's World Cup, and the IOC as well, for inclusion of women in the Olympic Games. To discuss the fallout of the Congress vote, we welcome sports lawyer Dr Catherine Ordway, PhD, Assistant Professor at the University of Canberra in the Sports and Management Integrity Faculty. Welcome to Box to Box, Catherine. Thank you very much for having me. Not at all, Catherine. So um, we, we want to cross a, a, a quite a range of, uh, of questions uh, on this particular topic, and I think it's pretty clear where we stand on it based on uh, the remarks that I've just made. Uh, first off, does football's bureaucracy have a problem with women? Is, is there one rule for women and another for men? Well, I think that we can have a look at this from a couple of different perspectives. You would start by saying in this particular example, the action was brought by Football New South Wales. So I think it's appropriate then to put a spotlight on their gender equality provisions and and practice. So does Football New South Wales have a technical director for women? Have they had equal numbers of men and women on their board and other leadership positions? Do they promote female coaches? Um, officials and and so on, referees. Uh, So that might be a good place to start in terms of asking that question. Then you bring it back up to the national level and say, across the board, where is um, football in terms of gender equality? The um, Congress Review Working Group had to be established because the International Federation, FIFA, came down and said to Australia, I'm sorry, you don't have gender equality and democratic representation in your key decision-making bodies, namely the Congress and the board. And so they were going to sack the board and have a normalisation committee imposed. Instead, they brought in the Congress Review um, Working Group, which initially was all men, of course. They self-appointed all men because the Congress was zero men out of ten. And so they tried to work out how would we deal with this problem that we have with women in the sport. And so they did that by appointing all men on there until they had a female chair. And then you know the story in 2018 that there was a 40-40-20 rule, 40 men, 40 women and 20 of whoever comes along um, to make up all decision-making bodies throughout the sport of football in Australia. And that still hasn't happened. That was voted into the constitution in 2018. The result from that, of course, we know now is that Heather Reid was the first ever Um, vice chair or deputy chair into the role in a landslide win it was called at the time in the media where she got more than 90% of the vote and they still haven't got 40% of women on the board or um, the Congress because the Congress was expanded to 29 of course from the original 10 so does football have a problem with getting women into the right leadership positions you would think 
maybe we're in 2021 now and we still don't have the constitutional provisions satisfied. Catherine, uh, Heather Reid was accused by Football New South Wales of interfering with the November 2020 Football Australia board election, um, in particular um, interfering over their nominee, Stefan Kamaz. Um, I've spoken to a number of sources who've seen all of the documentation well, the case that Football New South Wales made to the Congress members, um, the, 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 the collective view was that it, uh, that it didn't stack up, that it was, um, there were accusations but without evidence or proof. Um, what does the fact that a, a vote still went ahead um, to remove Heather, despite the lack of evidence, what does it say about Football Australia's governance structures, its grievance processes and... Uh, and transparency around such an important issue. Mm, yeah, you're right. I think it says a great deal about the lack of um, transparency and governance structures because um, for a complaint like this to be brought, um, it, it is in compliance with the corporation's law. I mean, normally we don't see this in other sports where it gets to this point where a, a director would be up for um, being dismissed from, from their voluntary position um, because of um, a complaint that, isn't substantiated in any way and any of the the statements that I've seen from Football Australia and and from Heather Reid herself um, indicate that there was no evidence provided as you indicated and so for that to have occurred I would be asking questions around transparency and why is it the the fact that um, this vote could be made in private and um, without um, people having to indicate whether they were voting yes or no, why is that it allowed that um, people can abstain from voting, and what does that actually mean to abstain from voting? I gather there are a number of different Congress members who chose to abstain from this vote. Was it that they weren't interested in who the directors were, or or this complaint made against this particular director, or was it that they chose to destabilise the board, or was it a a decision? that they had been pressured into. I just don't know the answer to that. And because it isn't transparent, we don't know. Is there a conflict of interest? Is that the reason why people abstained? I think that it would be useful for people to know something this crucial uh, about who is actually governing the sport of football in Australia to have that kind of transparency available to people. This is Box to Box on 9 Radio NTS News Talksport. We're talking to Dr Catherine Orway, Assistant Professor at the University of Canberra, the Sports Management Integrity Faculty, about the uh, removal of Heather Reid from the Board of Football Australia. Now, in recent times, along with Heather Reid, Lee Russell, Swimming, Kate Palmer, Sport Australia, Raylan Castle and Rugby, you know, various powerful women have been moved from, uh, from, removed from these positions uh, for a number of different reasons. You know, how, how, how do the, does this uh, uh, sit with you in, in terms of the treatment of women in elite sport bureaucracy, especially when we've just been awarded a, a World Cup? And, uh, um, you know, according to the IOC statements of today, we're, you know, we've got an, another Olympics in about a decade's time, uh, women in, in powerful administrative positions. You are exactly right. This has been one of my big concerns, is that Heather Reid is just another woman who has been pushed out, excluded, or for other reasons has chosen to leave her leadership position because what we see nationally and internationally is that there is a small segment of the community that does not believe that women should be in decision-making positions in sport. I think that's fundamentally at the heart of what we're dealing with here. We 
as women are allowed to be in sport if we are washing the uniforms, if we're working in the, in the canteen, if we're writing the minutes as a secretary, that's lovely. And we're allowed to do that as much as we like. But if as soon as there is a suggestion that women should have an equal place at the table to have a decision-making role in the sports that we play, love, watch and participate in, then there's a problem. Catherine, my sources tell me that the chairman of Football Australia, Chris Nicku, and the CEO, James Johnson, were privately supportive of Heather. They felt that uh, there was absolutely no case for her to answer and that, that this was a overreach of... Um, pretty epic proportions, yet they made no public statements in support of Heather. Why do you think that is? Certainly Football Australia made a statement in support of Heather um, and they the, the statement that I've seen that's been made public on their website indicates that there was nothing to the complaint that would require the board to stand her down or um, admonish her or anything else. There was no evidence for the board to act. So that's the statement that Football Australia has made and so and that's Chris Nicko's role as the chair that he should be um, representing the board's views on that. In terms of James Johnson as the CEO it's this is not a management decision this is a decision of Congress and so it's really outside of his remit to comment on. I think that it's appropriate to talk about where are women valued in the game and how are women valued in the game and that's certainly a, a role going forward for Football Australia to think about because across the board they've said so, and including part of their legacy for the Women's World Cup 2023 that they want to have women in greater numbers participating in, in officiating roles in leadership roles and that's a key part of their legacy piece and so I think we're going to hear a lot more from them about that going forward. And how do you think this decision by Congress and we, we also must reiterate that it was a razor thin margin uh, 51-49 so it's fair to assume that the uh, the sport is divided over this issue but how do you think government uh, and corporate Australia when the federations in the marketplace looking for sponsors it has no soccer sponsor at the moment um, it's uh, looking for um, handouts from government to support its legacy programs for the women's world cup how do you think those environments will view this decision by congress well i think we're moving into a really interesting new environment from a, a government perspective if you think about um sport australia has just appointed a new chair a female chair um which will undoubtedly change the culture inside Sport Australia as, as a new person always does when they come on board. Um, of course, there's going to, I would anticipate, a new replacement to Kate Palmer at some point. Um, in terms of governments and sponsors, I, I imagine that they'll be asking questions and saying, well, was this um, Congress vote a reflection of a, a, a divided community? Was it an opportunistic action by a couple of people because it really did come down to only a couple of votes um, trying to destabilize the sport to what aim uh, what who is it that's trying to wrestle power in this context was it really about heather reed or was this a, a bigger question about power and influence yeah not a little bit of hypocrisy along the way um, professor Orbay. look thank you so much for for joining us on the show we had tracy holmes on last week good friend of the show the abc's tracy holmes talking about the the cas decision around uh, the asian football federation uh, which highlighted discrimination discrimination against women and it goes on uh, we hope we've uh, 
uh, illuminated what's continuing to occur in, in this country and uh, we hope that with the discussion um, that we're having this evening and, um, and, and we'll continue to have that uh, we may well be able to, to make some change, um, as you clearly uh, um, have uh, set out to do yourself. Thank you. I hope it will be a more positive conversation next time. Absolutely. We sure do. Absolutely. Dr Catherine Woodway, PhD, Assistant Professor at the University of Canberra Sports Management Integrity Faculty, thank you so much for joining us for your time on box to box Well, the drama doesn't go away, Edge. Uh, there's been plenty of drama in the A-League, um, particularly around Melbourne Victory this past week. They had a win which might have papered over some of the cracks, but we're going to talk to Richard Wilson, now former director of the board, and find out a little bit more about what's going on down at Amy Park with uh, with one of the biggest clubs in this country. Stick around. That's next on Box to Box. Box to Box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The kings of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Yes, this is Box to Box on Nine Radio NTS News Talk Sport Broadcasting across Australia, around the world on podcasts, whatever your podcast catcher is, welcome aboard. Now, we've already talked about um, controversy in the women's game with Heather Reid's departure, but there were plenty of controversy in Melbourne with the Melbourne Victory long-term board member Richard Wilson announcing his departure as a director of the club earlier in the week. Now, Richard uh, was fairly firm in his reasons for departing and... uh, Unfortunately, the the club put out a, a very curt and um, and what a lot of observers view uh, as an unnecessarily short uh, press release, which is. Uh in uh, you know uh, literally um, as I read it the club is both saddened and disappointed by comments attributed to Richard Wilson on his exit as a director of the club today Mr Wilson is a foundation director of the Melbourne Victory however at this time the board along with a number of shareholders welcome his exit which has been the subject of discussion for some time now it goes on for another paragraph but Richard welcome to the show um we uh, were disappointed that um, for uh, a decade and a half you've been committed to the club as a foundation director, general manager. You've seen a lot of the hot, hot good times and bad that the club uh, chose to to send you off that way. Um, what are your thoughts on, on the wording of that press release, mate? Thanks for having me. And Rob, look, I think um, it would have been... I hope they didn't spend a, long, a lot of time on it. No, exactly. Uh, um, and I think that... All I all all I can do, and I think the people who've uh, you know I've spoken to over the last uh, few days uh, have recognised my contribution to the game. Um, we started obviously back in two thousand and five under Jeff Lord, became an investor, a shareholder, and then a director, and then obviously managing director down the track, and uh, then a part of the Renaissance or the up, Renaissance, I suppose, or or the challenge of trying to separate the league out. So. For me, coming into a sport that was new to me in a business that was of, of soccer and football, uh, the round ball code, I'm pretty proud of what I've contributed and helped bring to Melbourne, to Victoria, uh, to the game. And I understand the probably the little bit of upset from the board. and uh, But at the end of the day, um, this has gone on for two or three years. As I've said in my press statement, my concerns around the direction and decisions, and but I'm very, very satisfied, and I know I've had great support around uh, a lot of a huge amount of people across all sectors. Um, thanking me for my contribution, and I'm proud of it. One of the items uh, that I took out of your announcement was that you were going to. Um 
sell the shares that uh, you control to fans, to to members, um, supporters and fans of the club so that they can have a say. Can you give us a bit of an insight into that decision and um, and how that actually will happen? The paradigm's changed. Football in Australia is, uh, is moving along. We've separated from the FA, what the FA, the FFA. The A-League has got it now... A, a fair degree of autonomy, autonomy and independence, and that was a, a major thing that has gone on for three years or so. The models around the world in terms of club ownership are diverse. So you have private ownership models, particularly the English model and the Australian model, as you know. You've got member-based models. So let's say Barcelona, the Spanish model, Barcelona, Real Madrid, run by the members. Uh, you've got the German model that's similar, you know, Bayern, member base. And then you've got a bit of a hybrid model. So let's talk about your Juventus. You know, it's a publicly listed company. You've got 60% owned by the original owners of Ubay and 40% in the public arena. So my view is that there's an opportunity here in a, in, in a great club in football, the world game, where the fans are passionate the fans are educated. The fans want to be involved, not just through forums and, and chat boxes, but actually have an opportunity to have a real input into and a real say into the future of, of, of a club. And I think the time is right for that to be championed uh, out in the public arena. And we're talking... 15, 16, 17%, perhaps even up to 20%, um, perhaps. Um, and that's going to give the fans and, and, and investors who want to come into a club like Melbourne Victory a real opportunity to, to express their voice, have a say across the whole business of the club, not just through forums and, and, and by the membership. And I think it's exciting. It's a new way of, of, uh, of the game growing and bringing... Uh, the public into our code that does happen in overseas big leagues, um, but yet to happen here, and we can, we, uh, and I think it's opportunity for that to happen. This is Box to Box on Nine Radio NTS News Talks. What we're talking to departed Foundation Director of the Melbourne Victory, Richard Wilson. Richard, so so put a bit more meat on the bones on on how this is actually going to happen, and also the the the. Um, existing board's reaction to it. I mean, I'm a fan of the victory, for example, sake, listening out there in uh, in radio podcast land. Um, how does this process work? How does it start? How do they get involved? And uh, and what's your thinking on how the, the club, uh, the, uh, the the current board, the remaining board, will, will react to this? Well, how the current board will react is a matter for them. I think they've had, um, you know, they've had a, they have a view about the control and, 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 and their investment and so forth. Uh, it's a case, uh, it's a matter for them. Uh, in terms of process, so we're just finalising uh, how we go about that through our lawyers. I'm anticipating that we'll have the offer open up by the end of next week. It should be a fairly simple process. The details of pricing and, and structure will be, will be out uh, by then and and the registrations and, and, and a registered area for them to, to apply and be processed uh, will be will be clear. So uh, in, over the next few days, 
that are all in place. And as I said, I think by the end of next week, it's like uh, buying shares in a in a in a stock exchange. There'll be a lot of Melbourne Victory supporters and fans uh, acutely interested in uh, in that offer and that subscription. Richard, you've been a part of the decision-making process for a long time now. When I um, uh, did my research today, got uh, 10 or 12 of Melbourne Victory uh, fans uh, together in a group chat and I asked them to agree on a consensus question. What's the one question you want to ask Richard about what's transpired over the last couple of years? And the question they all landed on was, um, does the board think that the CEO and the two key football people, so Trent, Trent Jacobs, Drew Sherman and Paul Trimboli are the best people, the most experienced people, to make sure that this is the best um, performing football club in the A-League? That is their key question. Very good question. Um, look, in sport, any business, uh, performance and results always take now, of course, in sport, often it gets back in the, you know, the coaches, coaches' quarters. There's processes around uh, recruitment that we have internally. Every organisation has an AFL, NRL. You have a recruitment process. You have a committee. You have ultimately, you know, people. What that is ultimately can end up at the board level or, or the committee for the board. So there's a whole different range of how all of that happens. In the end, the end result is um, you, the people in charge, make the decisions. Uh, the recommendations come through and the coaches involved um, in terms of recruitment, certainly in the victory, in the victory uh, way it's always been the case. Uh, and and, the, and you, then you live and die by the results. So I think the answer to that is whether you've got the right people in or not, those decisions and therefore their roles and responsibilities will ultimately be judged by by the results. As But the head coach in the, in the football the football world is ultimately the ultimately, and, and of course you, you can release players, and we've released players because they're not good enough uh, in recent times, as well as over the journey. So you're never going to get everything right, and you can never say one person or two people. You know, it, it, it is a collective, and it's easier to judge it after the fact when you're in the moment trying to put a squad together in a salary capped environment. Plus marquees, um, you know, it would be interesting to ask the fans. For example, was Harry Kuehl a successor or failure for the Melbourne Victory Football Club? And I reckon you'd have, I reckon you'd have a whole diversity of opinion on that. Just for example, um, we bought Carlos Hernandez. In. He wasn't a marquee player, and I would rate him in the top five in our club's history. But of course, you have your failures that go with it. So. It's a great question. It's the right question. And in the end, you hold everyone is accountable. And I think for me, uh, one of the issues for me in the end was we haven't held people accountable. Well, it sounds like uh, really between the lines, Richard, you're, you're being as diplomatic as you can reasonably be. But uh, ultimately, accountability, results count. It's a results business. And if you don't get results, then uh, you don't get to stay. Richard, uh, in parting, uh, the. Uh, 15 years are, are now in the past. Um, will we see you in the stands as a fan with a scarf around your neck, uh, eating a pie, uh, barracking for the victory uh, in uh, in months and years to come, mate? Always victory. You don't lose. Uh, you, never, you know, you, 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 you <laughs> probably shouldn't say this. 
you, you get rid of your wife before you get rid of your club. <laughs> yeah, you shouldn't um, say that, Richard. No, you shouldn't. No, that's right. <laughs> but um, but uh, no, no, it's, uh, it's, it's there. You always want to see the best. And sometimes, you know, as a director, you've got responsibilities, governance, mm. uh, to your shareholders, your stakeholders, to yourself uh, around uh, where you see the club and the direction. And, and in the end, after a period of time, we had some differing views with uh, with Anthony and the board and, and, and so forth. And so it got to the point where, well, you know, for me, I need to move through. You know, you guys need to do what you, you want to do and take it to where you want to get to. And I don't agree on, on all the key issues. And, and so we separate. And that's, uh, and that's fine. I think there's a future in, in different directions. And one of the areas I think we can really grow the game is by allowing people to become more invested in the game. You know, AFL clubs are member-based. Those members can vote. Those members are members that can vote, have a say, and they turn up and they feel engaged and involved. And I think mm. that's where an opportunity for the round ball game um, lies today. An opportunity for people to say, yep, I want to have a say. I want to be involved. And I think for me, that's the next phase of where the game is and can grow the game, and that's really important. Well, it sounds like it's going to be part of your legacy, Richard. Congratulations on uh, on your commitment to, to football in the past decade and a half. Yeah, it would have been nicer to go out with a uh, hand shaking and uh, and all the uh, you know the pats on the back and the rest of it. But sometimes that is just not the way things work out. We wish the the board, as it stands, good luck in in rebuilding the club, and, uh, and no doubt uh, you do as well, Richard. Uh, we we'll look forward to seeing you uh, maybe have one of those pies uh, out in the bleachers. Uh, at a uh, victory game real soon. Let me know what row you're in. Probably row A1, are you? <laughs> no, mate, we're just in the You battlers. know Rob well. We're just battlers, mate. Battlers. <laughs> Have a go. <laughs> Good on you guys. Thank you. Right mate. It'd be Go- sushi. Maybe pies, that'd be sushi. <laughs> <laughs> Good on you, yeah. Richard. Good to talk to you, Richard Wilson. Box to box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The kings of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most crucial goal yes, of Yes, this is box to box. Certainly lots of opinions in this first hour so far. Uh, we'll have a few more on the pitch, uh, A-leg style with Willem in a moment. But before we do, stock up on your sports supplies now at Chemist Warehouse. Save on products like Wagner Body Science, supports range now half price. Elastoplast mouthguards from just $6.99. The seasons are starting in. You get your mouthguard, Metzl Heat Rub Cream 500 gram twin pack just $25.99 and Rexona deodorant 250ml variants 358 That's a deal. Also give big... Save big on sports nutrition. There's a huge half price off the entire Masashi range, 40% off the entire Vital Strength range, and 25% off Aussie Bodies Protein Bars. Where, gentlemen, at? Chemist Warehouse. Of course, Willem. <laughs> and where the lowest prices are every single day. All right, gentlemen, we're going to talk A-League. Um, lead us off, Willem. We've got seven games within the next seven days to get through, Rob, for round 10, starting on Friday night between Perth Glory and Brisbane Raw at HBF Park. Michael, this is Perth's first game in 21 days. They've only played so far five games this season. That can't be conducive to getting a roll on and getting some good form behind you. Brisbane are still second, despite the fact they haven't scored in their last three. You would think, surely, Masato Kudo, the Japanese import, would be fit and ready to go to give them something a little bit different up front, even if just off the bench. Yeah, they need him, um, but Perth will be good. Um, they've actually, you know, you're not going to see where they're on the ladder of having played uh, three or four less games than uh, other teams. So expecting Perth to go on a bit of a run uh, in these spate of home fixtures they've got. 
On Saturday afternoon, we've got Western Sydney and Adelaide at Bank West. The Wanderers are fourth at the minute, and it's an interesting ploy that Carl Robertson is playing, Rob. He's got the biggest squad going around. He's changing that front six. It's a bit of a revolving door. Abini, Muller, Yeboah, Duke, Cox, Kamau, and it's similar in his midfield as well. It's a fine balance to have everyone happy and challenged and continuing to be shuffled. It can turn very quickly, and you have a couple of players not so happy. It's working for now. Is it sustainable? Well, Hickey's a seasoned pro. Um, he's been there and done that himself. Um, he's been involved in successful clubs. I would back him to do that. There's just something about Robinson that um, suggests to me that he's a, a winner. Uh, yeah, and, and a gaffer for the future. And, I, I think that we're going to see a longer career yeah, outside of Australia. He seems to have an edge that uh, mm. that other sort of Australian coaches don't have, don't they? Yeah, yeah. And that, that, that capacity to have a vision for what's going to happen. And, and most importantly, credibility with the playing group because they know he's been there and done that before. Before. So I think that's the missing link in what you've just described, mate. Adelaide and Carl Viet definitely have some issues. They somehow won that last game against Central Coast with three penalties. They weren't deserving for mine, Michael. And I know you're a big rep for Jordan Elsie, but that wasn't his finest performance. No, it wasn't his finest uh, performance, especially when he uh, when he was involved in uh, a, cal- a couple of calamities. But he'll bounce back from that. But yeah, look, some really serious fallout from that game, and because VAR made some big errors. Uh, VAR, I've been supportive of it generally, and and what I don't get is that. At international tournaments like the FIFA World Cup in Russia and the Women's World Cup in France, VAR was per- perfect. It was perfection. It, the VAR, it's the way it operates in Australia, it's just, it's, it's like it's completely different. It's because you've got the same on-field referees swapping through the VAR as well. So it's not like there's VAR specialists. It's just the on-field well, refs in a the different The errors role. they're making, you know, some of the decisions that they're making, these uh, video referees are... Uh, a shite. It's terrible. Bennett, Saturday night, Melbourne victory against Western United at Marvel Stadium. Melbourne victory. Brebner doesn't get long to bask in that sort of relief that he got from that victory. Look, they're not particularly creative. It's two wingers crossing it into the big man. It will work on a given day. I think Tommy Uscock will give Just Ed a bit more of a run for his money than the two Wellington boys did on Wednesday night. Western United, though, Rob, were fantastic against MacArthur. A bit more of what we saw from them, sort of similar to last season. Not desperate to have the ball at every opportunity, but they were uh, fantastic when they got it. And I think we saw why Guadachena has been recruited. He went up a couple of levels. Yeah, I think they win that game. I think Mark Rudin uh, is uh, one of the best coaches in the A-League. Uh, they're separated by a point on the ladder, but... Uh, Depleted United. Melbourne victory. Uh, that win against Wellington is only going to paper over the cracks for a day or two. And, and Western United have two games in hand as yeah. well. So, uh, yeah, I uh, I agree with that. It's um, papering over they the cracks. Were, they were deadly in Ballarat, Western United. Oh, they were fantastic. And moving on to Sunday afternoon, Sydney FC against MacArthur. Looking this forward is, to this game. Yeah, yeah, this is third against fifth, but both are coming off pretty emphatic defeats. Sydney really didn't like it coming in quick against uh, a far more direct Melbourne City with Andrew Naboot in the side. And MacArthur got turned around on the counter against Western United, as we mentioned. Michael, a few concerns that maybe a few of the issues we saw with the Matildas under Milicic creeping in under MacArthur. Do you give that any credibility? No, not really. Uh, I think... Um uh, for me, this this game's all about Sydney. This one, this for me, it's about Sydney's response and return. And when's Bobo going to get a go? Well, he got, he had a go. He started the you other know, night. Yeah, but when's he going to make an impact? Well, he's thirty six or thirty seven. There's got to be some questions. The thing that Sydney is missing is Lafondra's goals. They're very hard to replace, mm-hmm. aren't they? 
Especially when he's uh, still scoring for fun in the Indian Super League as well. So mm-hmm. it just shows uh, what a quality player he is. Well, that league is over for now and there's a, a number of players sort of off contract. So we might see a bit more that sort of player returning. Roy Krishna as well might be mm-hmm. uh, hopefully coming back at some point. And then on Sunday afternoon, Newcastle Jets against Welly at the Hunter. Craig Deans, he had the box-to-box magic last week. He's five unbeaten. They're up to sixth place. And you'd think now this one gets a little bit easier against a Wellington side who have won just one in eight. They've been away for a long time. I think we saw how important Ulysses De Villa is. He was fantastic against the Wanderers and he looked dangerous. He was They looked dangerous. He was subdued against the victory and they looked uh, pretty feeble. And then the on Tuesday night, we're going to have a double header. Western Sydney against Melbourne City at Bank West and Perth Glory against Central Coast uh, at 9.20pm Eastern Time in Perth. Looking forward to the Perth Glory Central Coast game. And Newcastle, I just love watching Newcastle at the moment, Willem. I don't know about you, but I just love watching them on the TV. I'm getting a lot of enjoyment out of it. So I think Newcastle's looking all right. Can't wait till they get some of these uh, imports that they've got in quarantine out in the park as well. And I love the performance from Valentino Yule against Victory last week as well. He was quite, well, he was was poor and he was out of the game, but he stuck at it. And all you need in a, a game like that is one moment of magic. And he put it on a plate for Angus Thurgate with a bit of ingenuity. So that's good to see uh, that sort of attitude. And you love an underdog, don't you? Listening to the show last week, Craig Deans, he, he just he, he gave you hope, um, and uh, you could sense just why they're they're doing better than most uh, of us expected when uh, everything looked like uh, it was going to hell in a handbasket up at the Hunter uh, at the beginning of the season. So any, anything they do from here on in is a bonus, and the fact that they're sitting in the top six, uh, you know, and in contention to play finals is uh, is a testament to to what's going on. And uh, good good luck to our mate Laurie McKinnon for uh, for more of the same. All right, well, well done. That was a brief A League segment, but we had a busy chat. Um, with uh, our previous couple of guests, Richard Wilson and Catherine Ordway. Okay, after the break, we're going to talk to Roshane Thomas. He's a very excited West Ham correspondent. That is going to be a good chat. We'll talk more Europe and we'll wrap it up. We'll stop which time. After the break on Box to Box. Now, this is Box to Box with Rob Gilbus and Michael Edgeley. Oh, what a goal! For For Chemist Chemist Warehouse. Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The kings of storage moving and Welcome back to Box to Box, a busy opening hour, talking politics off the field. We're going to try and stick to football on the park in the second hour. So second edition with news with Willem van Denderen shortly. The Athletics' Roshane Thomas is going to talk to us about West Ham. Who would have thought David Moyes, uh, he's got them in Champions League contention. Uh, brilliant stuff uh, after all that's gone on at uh, the Hammers in the past few years. We'll talk plenty more on Europe as well, Champions League, Premier League and the rest of it with Dino and Dell and a yarn about stadiums in stoppage time. Everton have announced uh, that they've got approval from the local council to build a beautiful new stadium on the Mersey there to replace Goodison Park, their home of uh, well over 100 years. It'll be an interesting chat. Uh, all the boys have got strong opinions on that. But uh, Willem, you got a bit more news for us, mate? I do, Rob. Socceroos and Matilda Central for the Green and Gold Army. It looks like we'll have some Socceroos World Cup qualifiers played soon enough. So make sure you're on the Green and Gold Army mailing list for all info on future Australian tours. Sign up at ggatravel.com.au. Let's start this week with the big disappointing news from Greece, where Tony Popovich has been sacked as manager of Xanthi after just nine games, despite <laughs> having won three of their last four Edge. and That's sitting nice. four points oh. off top spot. Let me get there, Michael, and then we can have a go. It's believed a player revolt has seen him out the door. He's taken a swag of Aussie players and coaches to the club to work under Aussie owner Bill Pappas. It's a second ruthless axing in Europe after his dinner at Karabuksbor in Turkey. He's been sold a dream, Michael, and it has bitten him once again. 
He needs to stay away from the Mediterranean uh, countries, doesn't he? Because he got slaughtered in Turkey and he's now been slaughtered in Greece. I mean, I don't know what's going on. Look, we all know Popovic's uh, coaching style is he's, he's full on. He, uh, he's very strict on diets and fitness regimes and uh, physical preparation. And the Greek boys at Xanthi, I'd say, have... Um, they like their souvlakis and uh, maybe one or two mythoses after the game, Rob. And Do you think they're not allowed to smoke in the training room? <laughs> I think they're not allowed to smoke <laughs> in the training rooms too. At least uh, n- that's right. It's just frustrating because uh, in a footballing uh, sense, we know these are countries you probably don't go to unless you're really well, clear. And you know, he's you know. gone there under an Australian owner, owner as well and he's taken mm-hmm. Zelko Kalats and a whole heap of other people and God knows what's going on there. But I, I laugh because it's happened twice. So yeah, that's it. Tony. Once bitten, twice shy. Tony! Tony, Tony, Tony! These are lessons that other people have learnt going to Greece and Turkey and getting mucked around. He's Mm. decided he wants to learn them for himself. Well, there's one thing for sure is um, that there'll be a job back in the A-League and um, and if I was Grant Brebner, um, I'd be starting to get a little bit concerned about now. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No doubt about that. Elsewhere, Milos Degenek played the full 90 in a two-all Europa League draw with AC Milan, which happened to be his 100th appearance for his boyhood club. Trent Sainsbury returned to action for FC Kortrijk in Belgium, scoring the first of two goals in a win. But worryingly, Danny Vukovic has been dropped by Genk. He's been a mainstay there when fit for a long time. They've had a poor run of results, so he's on the pine. In Scotland, Martin Boyle scored his 10th of the campaign in a 2-0 win over Hibs. Jackson Irvine also played a full 90, and they're looking like they're going to be locked into third position. And the J-League and K-Leagues return this weekend. Ange Postacoglu's Yokohama face last year's Japanese champions Kawasaki. And Adam Taggart could make his Siro Osaka debut on Saturday. And I look forward to bringing updates on how the vast array of Aussies scattered across those couple of leagues. You're still as wedded to Adam Taggart as you always were, Will? Absolutely. Always. And forever. Loyal. The UK's latest roadmap out of COVID-19 lockdown could see as many as 10,000 fans return to Premier League grounds for the final round of the season. The plan could see stadiums fill by up to 25% to a maximum of 10,000 from May 17th, with the last round to start on May 23rd. It also opens up the possibility of fans returning to summer sporting events across the summer, including the Euros, uh, should conditions be met. So with vaccines rolling out as well, Michael, a bit of positive news out of the UK for the first time in months. Yeah, long way to go in the COVID uh, battle that's uh, been waged on the European continent and in England. Um, but uh, yeah, the vaccine, the impact of vaccines in places like Israel and England and the United States now starting to starting to the data starting to become real and uh, and obviously um, everyone's getting excited about uh, the potential for life resuming as normal. And wouldn't it just be absolutely so fantastic to get some fans back in the stadiums and. Uh, because it will make watching the English Premier League and the uh, mm. the French La Liga and uh, the Bundesliga all the better if there's a few fans in the stadiums, Rob. It sure will be. And, uh, you know, listening to the show while I was, you know, recuperating last week um, and uh, you know, your chat with Stephen Warnock, and, and what a great chat that was, um, you know, as a Liverpool fan as well. One of the points he made uh, um, about um, the Liverpool fans not being able to celebrate the uh, the breaking of the drought and the, you know, the, uh, uh, the celebrations in the street and all that sort of thing. So... Um, They'll obviously do that as a um, you know a, a much delayed sort of a celebration, but but they're just as much a part of football on the park, aren't they? Watching just that exuberant joy of fans when uh, when there's success. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, you know, mate, if you're a West Ham fan at the moment, I mean they're having mm-hmm. a once in a sort of twenty year season, aren't they? So mm-hmm. you, you're just missing out. Well, that's on what, the, and we're going to talk stadiums later because it'll be interesting. This is just the sort of run you need to put a, yeah. a culture into a into, into a stadium, stadium isn't that's it? That's right. Yeah. yeah. 
I'll just flesh out a few more of those details, Rob, before we do have the expanded chat in stoppage time. Evidence move away from Goodison Park is a step closer. They've had their 52,000-seat proposal uh, approved for the Bramley Moor Dock Stadium. The club are intending to hold matches there by 2024. £500 million development is estimated to provide 15,000 jobs. Plans for community developments at Goodison Park have also been approved. The government is now going to have the final say. I know we've all got a bit to say on it, so we'll hold it for the end of the show. UEFA have cancelled this year's under-19 Euros for both men and women amid continuing impact of COVID-19. The men's tournament was to be hosted in Romania and the women's from Belarus. Romanian capital Bucharest is one of 12 host cities for this year's Euros, with UEFA expected to have an update on the tournament. I still just don't see how we can have a, a Euros across 12 countries right across Europe. I think we definitely should have it. I think in some sort of hub is probably more appropriate. Yeah, I, I mean, we're going to have to watch the announcements as, uh, as they come. And, uh, you know, governments are, are going to hold their line, aren't they? Um, as uh, they're so close to sort of uh, getting uh, some sort of normal life back uh, with impacts of uh, vaccines in Europe. You'd you think that uh, fans at uh, the European Championships is maybe a long shot. Bayern Munich starlet Jamal Muziala has chosen to represent Germany at international level, despite overtures from England and Nigeria. Muziala represented England and Germany at underage level and scored his first Champions League goal for Bayern in their 4-1 win over Lazio this week. Muziala will hit it and score! What a moment for the 17-year-old. Jamal Musiala, right-footed from outside the penalty area, drives Bayern Munich into a two-goal lead. Yeah, big decision for a 17-year-old. But when you're 17, you're playing in the top flight in the the country of your birth. Uh, let's be clear about that. He, he spent uh, many of his formative years in England, but he was born in Germany. He had the choice. And uh, listening to talk sport um, overnight, uh, a lot of the, the comment was around the depth that England have in his preferred position, and it just made the sensible choice. So as much as you like to keep everybody uh, on the books, uh, as we would have liked with Lyndon Dykes, who's, uh, who's doing great work um, at, with Scotland, uh, it's just not possible, is it, Edge? No, it's not, and those decisions have to be thoroughly thought through, and you win some and you lose some. You certainly do. Down to League 2, Forest Green Rovers are continuing to raise the bar on their environmentally friendly exploits and have launched a new kit made partially of used coffee grounds, Rob. Having become certified as carbon neutral by the UN in 2018, the kits were already made of bamboo, but coffee grounds mixed with used bottles are apparently lighter and breathe more. Mm. Hector Bellerin last year became an investor of the club. They only serve vegan food to their players and are planning a stadium made entirely out of wood. It's a fascinating what story and it rains? keeps getting better. Well, the plastic bottles will hopefully not uh, go as soggy as the coffee grounds. Well, that's the problem with the coffee grounds. That just might melt away. <laughs> well, they've got the all uh, the all wood roof above them, hopefully. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's a good Did story. Fire chap, what do you reckon? <laughs> <laughs> you hope not and one final one which has certainly piqued my interest as a Melbourne Victory fan former Socceroo and maligned Victory boss Mehmet Djurakovic has brought an end to his successful six years as a manager in Malaysia across three seasons with each of Selangor and Parak he managed two Malaysian Cups from three finals and successive second placed finishes he departs as the longest serving foreign coach in Malaysia Yeah, as I said still very maligned at Melbourne Victory there's absolutely no way he'll be returning to the club because the fans just wouldn't have it unfortunately but it's it's quite a career, and he's, he's held in very high regard over there, Michael. Well, just get on Twitter and uh, type in Mehmet Durakovic, and uh, you'll see the love affair that the Selangor uh, fans have with um, with Mehmet. He, he won two titles there as a player. Obviously, the the, the prince uh, of the region of the club where they're from owns that club, so it's a the royal family. He's been well looked after. He's a 
absolute legend over there. So get on the Twitter and have a look at some of, how, some of the tributes from the fans. It's been absolutely sensational. Well, any of our uh, listeners who have been listening for many, many years will remember our friend Mark Van Aken, and, uh, and he used to do some great impressions, and one of his best was, was Mehmet. What are you going to do, mate? Yeah, what are you going to do, mate? <laughs> so so uh, good on you, Mehmet, and uh, that's, that's good news. Hopefully we'll see him back. Yeah, g'day, Marco. Hope you're doing well, brother. All right, well done, Willem. Uh, we are going to talk West Ham. After the break, uh, they've been through everything. They've been through moves. They've had captains blowing up before the season. Uh, Their new home had no soul, but David Moyes seems to be pulling it all together. Our very good friends at The Athletic are always very generous, and we're going to talk for the first time after the break to Roshane Thomas about West Ham and just how well their season is shaping out in this weirdest of all seasons. That's all coming up next on Box to Box. Box to Box. For Chemist Warehouse, home of real brands and real savings, and Storage King, the kings of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Yes, this is Box to Box on Nine Radio NTS News Talk Sport. Now there are many big European football clubs who have uh, a lot of support in Australia, and one of them is West Ham. Uh, a very close cousin of mine, Louis Hanna, uh, is a huge Hammers fan and uh, he's just been gutted over the past few years since they moved from the Berlin ground uh, to the Olympic Stadium. But he has just been blossoming this season as uh, David Moyes has turned things around. And to talk about the Hammers and the resurgence under that very manager, we talk next to, we are talking now to the Athletics' Roshane Thomas. Welcome to the show, Roshane. How are you, mate? I'm all good. I'm all good. Yourself? Mate, we're super good. But uh, as a guy who covers the beat um, at West Ham, you've, you've seen it all. You've seen the you know, the closing of the grand old ground, uh, um, the, the pilgrimage across to you know, the soulless new stadium. Uh, it's not even shaped uh, as a football stadium. And, <laughs> you know, no results on the pitch. Uh, you know, the uh, you know, insurrection internally. But then, uh, you know, after Mark Noble blew up at the beginning of the season with some, you know, decisions that uh, management had made, things, they've just turned around and the Hammers are not, they're not flying under the radar anymore they're, they're heading for uh, for the Champions League yeah for sure it's just been a remarkable season and listen David Moyes he deserves a knighthood for what he's <laughs> done for, for, for West Ham fans this season as you touched on selling Diagana to West Brom and like everyone including myself getting so angry about that like what on earth is going on making relatively good progress on the field like the board making another stupid decision like oh and then David Moyes has absolutely transformed um, West Ham's luck, as you touched on, challenging for top four. Listen, I'm used to West Ham just about surviving. The odd, the odd ten plays finished, but I'm used to West Ham just about staying up in the league. So right now, for West Ham to be fourth ahead of Chelsea and all the other London clubs, I'm like, I, I gotta like scratch my eyeballs and think, what on earth is going on? Like, is this is all a dream, because it's just been incredible. And yeah, he deserves a lot of praise for that because right now, West Ham fans are absolutely buzzing, including myself. Roshane, you mentioned the West Ham fans there and you know I heard some commentary over the weekend that suggested that West Ham are benefiting from the fact that in fact they're away from their fans at the moment because it hasn't been a great atmosphere in Stratford and um, this this period has allowed them in a way just to get, get a team together, get their their shape and, and work on how they're going to be a team without the fans kind of breathing down them. Do you, do you think that that's the case? Yeah, I see this quite a few times, and it's not it's not a narrative that I agree with, in all honesty, because uh, my mind goes back to the 2015-16 uh, season, where West Ham were challenging for top four, and obviously the fans were there that season. West Ham were playing some really good football, just narrowly missed out. Even before lockdown, when fans were attending games, West Ham were making good progress on the Moyes, and they were cheering the team on. 
it's just a thing where people who are two and two together are like, oh, there's no fans, West Ham are playing well, and they're thinking that's the reason where. But I, I disagree with that. I definitely disagree with that. Yeah, Moyes obviously deserves a lot of credit, and um, much is made probably in the past of the West Ham way. It was this kind of philosophy that I think certainly the media used to talk about in terms of West Ham being a progressive team, a passing team. Um, it's actually not the West Ham way in the moment, it's the Moyes way, and it may not be the most fluid and exciting football but he's making the best of the resources that he has there he's making excellent signings what what is the Moyes way to you and why is it so successful the Moyes way to me is obviously giving young players a chance in the past what 14 months since he's been in charge at West Ham he's given eight young players from the academy an opportunity which has just been absolutely remarkable uh, another part of the Moyes way is you know recruiting young up and young up-and-coming talent, not players after one last payday, players like Sam Nagy or or Simone Zaza, you know, these absolutely scandalous players who've come to West Ham and just, you know what I mean, not put <laughs> yeah. the effort in. I'm seeing people like Suchek, uh, you know, uh, Ben Rama, young players who just want to do well for the shirt. And and obviously, I know it sounds cliche, but just, do, just working hard on the training ground. I know it should be a given for footballers to work hard on the training ground, but under Moyes, the players know they've got to give it their all every day because if you don't, you're not going to be. You're not going to be in start eleven, much less the bench. So you have that element of competition. You know, players know if I don't play well, I won't be in the team next week. Whereas, let's say under Pellegrini, it was a case where if you're playing rubbish, let's say someone like a, a Haller wasn't playing good, they know they're going to be in the team for the next game. Whereas Moyes is like, listen, if you're not playing well, you're not going to be in the team. So it's been a accumulation of things, and yeah, ultimately the Moyes way is getting West Ham, you know, points on the table. This is Box to Box on Nine Radio, NTS News Talk Sport. We're talking to Roshane Thomas about the resurgence of West Ham under David Moyes. Roshane, I want to talk about a couple of players. You mentioned one of them, Suchek. Um, they're obviously an extremely astute signing and, and Moyes replicating his ability to do that, which he was famous for at Everton. So maybe you could talk a bit about him, but also let's talk about Mikel Antonio as well, a player that flies under the radar in a lot of the headlines. Um, you know, he's not often in the England re- reckoning, um, but but he's putting in some amazing performances as well. So it's a blend of the best talent you can get from a board plus, a, plus someone local who's really doing it. Could you talk about those two players? Yeah, well, first off, with Antonio, it's great to see him be a, a consistent goal scorer because we all know Antonio's great. He has brilliant work rate. It's just a case of can he get like double figures each season? And before you could say, oh, I just lacks consistency. Whereas now, oh my goodness, he, he, he's certainly shown he could be West Ham's um, focal point up front. And that's all down to Moyes because Moyes had the vision to say, yeah, he's a good winger, but I could turn him into a forward. When Halle was struggling to score goals and he just kept <laughs> kept being offside, He's, he looked someone like Mikel Antonio for yeah, I could turn him into a goal scorer. And he's well, it's been vindicated ever since. Been a regular goal scorer, always does does, does well for the team. Even when West Ham um like I had to find a solution without him, it was hard. Because it was like, yes, yeah, Jack's doing well, but who else is the goal scorer up front besides Antonio? So it just shows how important he is. And again, um Moyes was a big factor behind Antonio signing a new two and a half year deal. He just loves playing under him. So that's been great for West Ham. In terms of Suchek, my goodness. Where did I even begin with Suchek? This guy loves running. He loves running. Like, it's just ridiculous the, the amount he runs uh, per match. And again, West Ham fans absolutely love him. I always say, if Myron Fellaini and Tim Cahill had a baby, it would be Thomas Suchek. <laughs> <laughs> that's who it would be. And the, the brilliant thing about Thomas is, you know that sort of box-to-box midfielder always scoring goals from midfield? 
We don't really see it often in the Premier League these days. The only one that comes to mind, perhaps, is Scott McTominay from Man United. But barring that, we don't really see many, uh, you know, box-to-box midfielders scoring in a region of, let's say, 10 to 12 goals a season. Whereas we've seen that from Thomas Suchek. I'm not sure if you guys saw it, but there was an incident in the, in a 2-1 win over Tottenham where Vladimir Safal, like, I think he injured his ribs. And Thomas ran over, like, absolutely panicking, thinking something was wrong with his friend. And Craig Dawson was like, no, nah, don't worry, he's fine. Like, There's nothing wrong with him, he's all good. So that shows the strong bond he has with Vanden Messafal. But yeah, all in all, absolutely great signing. And in my opinion, one of the best signings in over the past, what, decade or so, because he's been that great for West Ham. Roshane, um, you mentioned the Tottenham game. In years gone by, um, West Ham might have capitulated under the pressure that Tottenham put them under in the second half. Bale looked like he returned to form. He was um, he was playing very, very well. But um, what do you put the culture at the club down to? I mean, obviously, the obvious answer is David Moyes, but they just seem to be a very tight group. And like you said, when they've missed players, they've found a way to get results. And, and, and how do you, you know, uh, being, being the journo on the beat that's uh, watching closely uh, what's happening at that ground, at that club, uh, what do you put that, that, that impressive culture that they've developed this season down to? Yeah, it's a really good question. Like, you know what? I, I I see a group of players that love playing with each other. I see a strong brotherhood. Previously on the Pellegrini, it would have been like 11 individuals, whereas now you've got players who are really, they love one another. You know, they're willing to leave all on the line and pitch for one another. Quite often, when, they were, when Pellegrini was in charge, I'd come away from the game thinking, did the players really give it their all? Did they really work hard to try and get a win? Whereas now, I'm seeing players like Craig Dawson leave it on the line. Declan Rice always doing well. Mikel Antonio, as we touched on, always working hard. Like, I'm seeing a strong togetherness. And case in point being the um, celebration for Lingard's goal, where you had uh, Lingard playing the, the flute, you had Declan mm-hmm. Rice playing the drums, and mm-hmm. uh, Four Niles playing the guitar. Like, I didn't see one Super Night celebration last season. Not one. So... It, it, again, it just shows you how much they love playing one another. I remember um, the yeah, 2010 World Cup where Ghana used to always dance whenever they scored. Like, mm. It reached the point where I wanted Ghana to score just to see them celebrate. Yeah. And now that could that could be a thing now for uh, for West Ham. So yeah, it's just been brilliant to see. And another thing is the coaching staff. The coaching staff have been absolutely brilliant. Paul Nevlin, Stuart Pearce, Kevin Nolan, uh, Alan Irvin. We've all had a role to play and... I'm not sure if you guys are big in wrestling back in the day, but <laughs> there used to be a wrestler called Stone Cold Steve Austin. Yes, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> whenever, whenever Stone Cold would walk down a ramp, he would just be mouthing all sorts of stuff to, just to get himself in the mood. In the last 10 minutes of that game against Tottenham, right? obviously Tottenham were applying a lot of pressure. So where Stuart Pearce sits is in the stands behind the bench. I kid you not, he walked down the steps as if it was Stone Cold. Just <laughs> looking, all, looking all angry, thinking, what on earth is going on here? I need to get down to the technical area to, to give the defence, uh, you know, some strong words because I'm not impressed with what I'm seeing. So, yeah, like, when, when it mattered most, he was there to help West Ham. And, yeah, they definitely deserve a massive, massive praise. And for all the uh, Australian fans of West Ham, uh, as I said at the top, uh, there are a lot of uh, Hammers fans in Australia. We do have a, a very special affection for a number of reasons, not the least of which which is that there are only two retired numbers uh, in the history of West Ham. Uh, one, of uh, course, is the number six of Bobby Moore. The other is the number 38 of Dylan Tombides, who sadly died before his time. Uh, West Ham have got a, a tricky 
risky run, as most clubs at the top end do, uh, to bring home the season before it wraps on May 23. So Manchester City this weekend, uh, Leeds, Manchester United, Arsenal, Wolves, Leicester City, then later on Chelsea and Everton. So, uh, so they're going to really be found out as if to whether they're the real deal or uh, uh, we, 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 we made the early crow on Southampton earlier in the year before they fell off a cliff. Um, what's your prediction on what's going to happen, mate? On paper, I know it looks like a tough running, but I actually think West Ham can even get some good points. They drew 1-1 against Man City previously, and I feel like West Ham improved a lot since that game. Obviously, the only danger is right now, Man City are just above everyone else in terms of their form. But I feel like if there was a team to give them a tough match, it would definitely be West Ham. Definitely be West Ham. Lees, West Ham beat Lees early in the season, one of the best performances of the season. They were so good. My United... I know lost against twice against Man United, once in the league and once in the FA Cup, but I feel like they're there for, they're there for the taking. Could definitely get a result against their Arsenal. Absolutely so lucky to be Arsenal early in the season. So, so lucky. I don't know how they've done that, to be fair. So lucky to be Arsenal. So they can get, West Ham can get a result against them. Wolves, West Ham beat Wolves already this season. They beat Leicester 4-1 this season. So on paper, it looks hard, but I actually think West Ham can get a good result. And... If you remember that season when Leicester City won the league, everyone like they're gonna their form's gonna fall off, you know they're gonna get found out eventually. And they went on to win the title. I can't see why West Ham can't look at it and feel like everyone doesn't really back us to get top four. Like we're playing so good right now, we can still do it. So I feel like West Ham should have that mindset there to say let's prove that was wrong. We've done it already this season. Let's just go with the finishing line and hopefully get top four. Shane, you certainly were lucky to get the result against Arsenal. Let's just make that very <laughs> clear. But um, obviously, in London, the top dogs have been a combination of Arsenal and Chelsea and, uh, to a lesser extent, um, Tottenham Hotspur. And, of course, we're united in not wanting Tottenham to do particularly well. But how important, uh, you know, how big is it as a West Ham fan and for fans that, you know, West Ham are the top team in London at the moment and can finally sit above some of their more uh, celebrated London rivals? Well, in terms of fans, first of all, be bragging rights. You know, Chelsea fans, Arsenal fans, Tottenham fans, we won't have any of it. So, <laughs> so that's the first one. But it will just it will just it'll just be the latest sign of the resurgence on the Moyes. Like obviously last season I touched on just staying up. So for West Ham to get top four potentially and also finish ahead of the other London clubs, that'll be a huge deal. And it'll be a huge deal for the simple fact that it'll encourage the likes of Declan Rice that listen, we've brought something strong here. There's no need for you to go to another top club. Like you can, you can achieve all your all your goals here at West Ham. That'll be the, the main thing really, and attract good players. Moyes can recruit even better players that we've already seen come in. It'll be a huge deal for West Ham to finish top four and head to other London clubs, especially when you think of like a Tottenham hiring Jose Mourinho to finish in top four itself, or Chelsea hiring Thomas Tuchel to finish in top four, and or like Arsenal putting Mikel Arteta to finish in top four. And you've got someone like David Moyes, who, let's be honest, hasn't really been given the praise he deserved initially, but now he's getting it. It'll just be amazing. It really would be. And I'll tell you what, I need to start working on my cardio because if West Ham finish the top four, I'll be doing backflips all over East London, that's for sure. <laughs> As you talk to us from Brixton, mate. Uh, hey, Roshane, it's been a real delight to chat to you. Uh, it's a joyous time for West Ham and hopefully be even more so as the, the next couple of months roll out. Uh, maybe we'll get you back on again when uh, some of your predictions hopefully come true and we can talk yeah. about uh, just how exciting it is in, uh, in real time at the back end of the season. For sure, for sure. And one last thing I want to make a point on there. Uh, Craig Dawson deserves praise. Uh, West Ham fans started calling him Virgil Van Dawson after, after Virgil Van Dyke. So yeah, he's been another factor behind you know West Ham playing well.
Excellent, mate. Well, Roshane, thanks again, mate. Stay well. Uh, we hope um, that we're hearing some good news come out of the UK, uh, COVID style. So hopefully uh, it just keeps on getting better, mate. And by, by May, we'll start to see some uh, fans back in the stadiums. Yeah, for sure. That would be great. That would be one massive party against Southampton mm-hmm. if uh, West Ham could keep their form up. So, yeah, all in all, good stuff for West Ham. And once again, thanks for having me on. Much appreciated. Not at all, Roche. Shane Thomas from The Athletic. He's on the West Ham beat. He's an excited West Ham man. And uh, he should be because David box, Moyes and the, and the players are doing some brilliant things over there. All right, stick around. We're going to talk more Europe with Dino and Dell after the break. On storage King, the kings of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most crucial goal. Yes, this is Box to Box. It's been a busy show. What a fun chat that was with Roshane Thomas. Talk about a man who loves what he does, and he clearly loves the Hammers. And we're going to talk a lot more about Europe um, in the next 10, 15 minutes. Um, Derek, Dino. Uh, Derek, where are you going to start us off with, mate? Nice to have you back in the uh, hot seat, Rob. Um, I'm Thanks, now back on the uh, subs bench, of course, but we have a very it was a difficult. Uh, it was a very, very difficult um, selection committee discussion, Derek. We thought you played very, very well. You just didn't cover the defence as much as we would have liked uh, last week, Derek. The the boys around selection committee thought you were a bit slow getting back. Um, the Dinos had the most input there, but uh, well, you'll get another opportunity soon, Derek. I appreciate that. We have a very deep bench at. Uh, Box to box, and another team that has a great uh, bench, Dino, is Manchester City. I've flagged to you all that their bench for their Champions League game last night included Kevin De Bruyne, Sergio Aguero, uh, John Stones, and Riyad Mahrez. I mean, they are just the team in Europe at the moment, Dino. They're going to go all the way. Yeah, look, I think so. You know, I think I'd, we talked about this last week and possibly even the week before, like when the Champions League. If, if there's forever a time for them to actually have a realistic chance, I think this is the year. They've just got so much depth and they're in really good form. I mean, their, their run at the moment is something like about is it 14 or 15 games unbeaten. So More than I think, that, um, it's, a, it's a record. And uh, they there's a record for away wins, do you know? And if they get to yeah. 25, it's an all-time record. Well, there you go. So that's, that's, that's the state of it. So unless the wheels fall off and there's some significant injuries, even if they had one or two, I still think that they'll, they'll still do, got a good chance of getting to the Champions League final and hopefully winning it. To be fair, Gladbach didn't put up much, to be honest with you. They're not the team from the early no. stages of the competition, and I thought it was a pretty easy run out for City. Um, in the other game featuring uh, an English side, Chelsea beat uh, the Spanish leaders uh, Atletico Madrid. And, you know, I've got a soft spot for Olivier Giroud. I had a little moment to myself, Dino, when I watched that beautiful goal goal in. And, and even though he's got a blue shirt on, I swoon at this guy. He's um, he's a great player, isn't he? He is looking, he, wherever he's been, he's always done it, whether it's uh, for, you know, in the domestic leagues and also, also in the international arena. Um, actually, the goal itself was a cracker, overhead kick. And there's a bit of controversy, but. It was uh, the, the way the VAR worked on that was really, really good. Um, I think they moved through that. They took their time, but it was realistic. They just come off the defender, which then made him onside, and uh, and didn't he take it well? He cer- he certainly did. And credit to you, Dino. I think you called Chelsea when I asked you and Edge last week, and yeah. you pulled that you pulled that one out. And uh, it, well, look, it's still some time to be played in the tie. Maybe Edge will, will, will still get his revenge on you, but Chelsea looked good <laughs> in that tie. They did. 
Yeah, and one team that are certainly uh, looking like they're going through is Bayern Munich, a 4-1 victory for them and a great goal for uh, Jamal Masaila. Uh, he's been put down as the youngest English scorer in the Champions League, but of course uh, his allegiances may well lie now with Demineshaft. So uh, England have lost out there on a, on a hot prospect, but Bayern looking good. Um, and of course, Real Madrid are through 1-0 against Atalanta. There were 10 men, did okay, actually, Atalanta, even with the 10 men. And of course, um, Tottenham played in their Europa League game. Brilliant overhead kick again uh, from Deli Alley. And they beat the team I've been looking at, uh, the WAC Pellets. Unfortunately, the Pellets look like they're going to be out. But uh, Dino, coming up, we've got Juve, Porto, Dortmund and Seville. And Liverpool have got that return leg against Leipzig with a 2-0 victory and Paris Saint-Germain against Barcelona. Are you thinking um, thinking that Paris Paris and Liverpool have got this in the bag? Um, look, PSG I'm, I'm really liking. Um, I think they're in really good form, especially since the management change. Liverpool, again, in Europe, doing all right. Uh, and, and I think that's quite significant. But from a league point of view, obviously, um, not so well. So... I think, um, yeah, I'm pretty confident. So, look, going across the Premier League, there has been one mid midweek game this week. Uh, Leeds United beat um, Southampton, who look incre incredibly in a parlous position, Dino. 3-0 to Leeds. I love watching them. Their finishing is brilliant. They're they just, good. just yeah. super strikes. Rafina, what a player. But are you worried for Southampton now? Look, I am. I mean, I, I, I'm not quite sure, but is it something like six or seven... Uh, defeats, or at least not uh, winning, at least, yeah. and, uh, and 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 that's not a, a good position. And, in, and if you look at the the, the relegation zone, it, it is quite quite close now. I know Fulham are still there, but I mean, you just don't know if Fulham can get on a run because they're doing quite well. Uh, even Southampton have just got to keep an eye on it. Rob, um, we'll talk about the Anfield game. 2-0 in the derby, first first loss since 1999. Um, where are you at with Liverpool at the moment? Where, where are you calibrating your sights now? Is it just trying to finish in the top four? Is that and 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 you know the Champions League? Yeah, in all seriousness, I think that uh, has got to be what the target is now. Uh, the season defence is obviously over. Listening to Stephen Warnock last week, he, he encapsulated everything that's been going on at Liverpool uh, perfectly. Uh, you know, every club has injuries, every club has uh, its own challenges, but uh, a post um, uh, um, premiership hangover of the scale that Liverpool had is uh, is unique in its own right. So you can imagine just the letdown at the club, the fact that it had finally been done. And if you were playing against second-rate opponents, um, you know, it's not to say that the you know the other leagues on continental Europe are second-rate, but they're certainly not at the competitive level that the Premier League is, then you could probably take a little step back and uh, if you're a Bayern or a PSG, you know, go ahead and go back-to-back. Back. But, uh, but Liverpool didn't have that luxury. They don't have that luxury. So I, I think um, that's what they got to do just get their, their their best team back on the park as best they can. Klopp's got to uh, get uh, things together there, um, put in uh, a um, a serious uh, uh, attempt at winning the Champions League if that's possible. Well, then I think that uh, that covers over uh, a lot of cracks and uh, and and reset for the next season. Almost certainly, Klopp needs to be given time to rebuild this team, and I think rebuild is the right word. I think. 
potentially this team has come to the end of an era. We saw it with Guardiola and Manchester City. Their team this season are very different to the last one that won the Premier League. So it only took Pep one season to shuffle his deck, make a few new signings. He's now back back top of the league, Rob. So hang in there, buddy. Um, <laughs> you. you sound so sincere, Derek. Yeah. Um, Arsenal nil, Manchester City one. Edge, are you surprised it took as long as 88 seconds for City to score in the game? <laughs> Well, I am, but um, I'm, I'm more happy about the, the scoreline. It, it could have been worse, couldn't it, uh, Derek? And they did fight on uh, the good fight, but yeah, that uh, it was a pretty quick goal. The last three games that City have played at the Emirates, their first goal has been in the second minute, the third minute and the second minute. So, Ed, I think the next team talk, we know what they need to say, which is concentrate from the start of the game, boys, because... They're clearly not, but City, as we covered earlier, rumbling on. Um, Leicester 2-1 over Villa, Dino. Great goals, I think, from Madison's and and Barnes. And I think they should be in the England team. Me too. Yeah, I like them both. I like them both. They bring a lot to the table. Barnes, uh, fabulous at running with the ball. And uh, Madison, well, just being class. I mean, some of the finishing, um, being very, very good. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think they're two of the most exciting talent and I'd love to see them get a chance because they're, even though they're a team at the top of the league, they're not necessarily playing for a fancied side. So I think for the likes of Madison and Barnes, they've got to just do that extra bit more to get into the England fold. But I think they well deserve a place in the squad and certainly um, Gareth Southgate should be looking at it. Um, United beat uh, Newcastle. Um, a penalty from Fernandez again. I don't know if you saw the goalkeeping from Darlow, but it was the, probably the most strangest piece of goalkeeping for a penalty I've ever seen. He t- dived forward and to the ground it, like he'd been shot by a sniper. So I, I don't know what he was thinking there, but I did notice Fernandez slightly changed his run-up and maybe Darlow was waiting for the little hop. I'm not sure. We spoke to Roshane about West Ham and Spurs. Great result there. Let's talk about Jose um, Dino. He says that he's still the best manager on the planet. Discuss. Um, well, look, I mean, if you look at the big picture, he's had many successes on many a continent. So you've got to give some respect there. Um, the, 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 the Tottenham experiment, I guess, I think always had some traps in there. Not an easy team with the, the purse strings and down the line by too many big players. Um, but at the same time, um, they've been quite competitive. I mean, that, they've had these little phases where at one stage, I mean, I think it was like at the beginning of the season, they were right at the top and thinking, hold on, there's, there's a real chance. But I think sometimes with individuals within the team, the, you know, like with Deli Alley being on the nose for a long time, now he's back in. Gareth Bale having a bit of that as well. I know he wasn't fit. I just think he, he he likes he likes the controversy, and I think sometimes it doesn't suit every individual in the uh, dressing room. Let's talk about other managers, Dino. There's been some hiring and firing amongst uh, north and south of the border. We've got Neil Lennon leaving Celtic, so maybe comment yeah. on that. And then the appointments of Woodgate and Pearson uh, and Joey Barton. But let's start with uh, Neil Lennon. Well, Neil Lennon, obviously, uh, he, from from what we've heard, obviously, he, he resigned. And, I mean, it's been coming, especially the, with regards to how Rangers have gone this season and uh, and what they've, what they've achieved in this season. You know, they're, they're going to win it by a landslide. Uh, and, that's, and, that's, and that's great for Rangers because, obviously, this was a really momentous year uh, that they didn't want to, to get, get, get Celtic to win it. So, 
there was a lot playing in that. And I think that comes down to a lot of pressure. Um, I'm, I'm not sure that with crowds, and I know both, both Rangers and Celtic, but the Celtic fans and the Rangers fans make a big, big difference on a lot of games. So I think had they been playing with a bigger crowd, well, a crowd, I think some of the results might have gone a little bit different. But look, at the end of the day, if you look at his record, he's done really, really well. And and I think he'll uh, I think he'll get back into football, but I think he might just take his time on what selection of type of club he wants to work with. Absolutely. I think Neil Lennon will remain a legend in the eyes of Celtic fans. Once they get over the shock of this season, he's been a, yeah. a servant of that club and Rangers, as you said, have just been very, very good. The other managers I mentioned, there will be no Vavavum at uh, Bournemouth for the moment because Jonathan Woodgate has been given the full-time job. I think that is lacking a lot of a, a lot of imagination for a side that should be trying to return to the Premier League with um, with those parachute payments. And Nigel Pearson will be facing off against Joey Barton, um, in the Bristol derbies and there'll definitely be a few yeah. fist, fist flying <laughs> fists flying there because they who, who, who win that one do you reckon uh, I think Nigel I think he's just got that I think he's got the physique over Joey um, so yeah I think maybe Nigel but as a you don't think he'd bring yeah. the ostrich back in would he Oh, he could. <laughs> terrible. It's just terrible. As we go back to Rob, um, Timu Puki, here's one for you, Edge. He scored twice, but missed a penalty for his hat trick. Norwich are now 10 points clear in the championship. They're coming back. The Canaries are coming back. Yeah, just favourite player, Timu Puki. All right, well done, boys. Um, okay, keep thinking because after the break, we're going to wrap it up with stoppage time. We're going to talk stadiums in the wake of the announcement of Everton's approval for their new 52,000-seater stadium uh, in 2024. It should be built. That's next on Box to Box. Box to Box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The kings of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most... Yes, this is Box to Box. It's been a great show this week. Uh, glad to be back healthy again. Thanks for all your good wishes there, boys. And... Uh, uh, before we we wrap it up with stoppage time and talk stadiums, uh, I want to talk Storage King. Is your home running out of space? Although you need to call Storage King. Whether you're decluttering, moving or renovating, downsizing or creating a home office, our friends at Storage King, they have the answer. They've got stores everywhere, so there's a location just around the corner. They've got a crack team of storage professionals who can organise it all for you, help you with the packing, the moving, every single thing you need, or you can do it all yourself. Buy the boxes, the packing materials, etc. Borrow the truck from Storage King and uh, store with uh, as much or as little as you need. Storageking.com.au. Go to Storage King and let them give you back some space. So, gentlemen, we all saw this week the um, artist's impression of Everton's new stadium, and there's always a sadness when you hear of a great club moving from its home, obviously Goodison Park. Uh, it's been the home of Everton Football Club since 1892, but uh, inevitably time passes on, and uh, and we need to talk about uh, the... Uh, the inevitable as it is going to happen and they're expected to have this uh, built by 2024 at the Bramley Dock site. So before I sort of hand over to you guys, my, my, my view is, uh, and I know you like to take the P15 out of me for talking about having been to Liverpool, but it is a, a beautiful setting there along the Mersey. There's a lot to see. Museums, you've got the Beatles Museum before you walk into the city and up to Stanley Park. So it, there's a perfect opportunity to perhaps learn some of the lessons from other clubs who maybe haven't done it as well and perhaps bring some some of the heritage, some of the visual um, elements of the old stadium to the new stadium. That's sort of the way I feel that it, it could be done. What do you reckon, Derek? 
Yeah, I, I draw comparisons between the Arsenal and Tottenham and Liverpool and Everton. And I think this would be a real moment for Everton to step out of the shadows of Liverpool to a degree. They're a club on the up and it's always, you know, Anfield has always been the predominant stadium, let's face it, and the most famous stadium in the world. So for Everton to have their own stadium farther away from Liverpool and a, an absolutely beautiful structure that will be so modern compared to Anfield and let's not let's not we'll have the conversation another day about comparing the two so I, th- I think that's what Tottenham did you know with their with their new stadium um they put in the the, the from fromageries and stuff I don't know if Everton need to go like that far and off air Rob you said you know, bringing some of the culture of the old stadium, Goodson Park, which is a, cr- a, a cracking ground and, and, and making it feel like home again. I don't think Arsenal quite nailed that. And I think um, that's what, what Everton should do. What are your reflections, Dino, of, of Everton? And what do you think? Yeah, look, I've, uh, I've been I've been to Goodison once. Um, so, uh, and, you know, it's all those very tight streets, as we all know, and the houses just, you know, one by one by one, all looking the same. Uh, but the atmosphere in the stadium was was wonderful. I mean, it's exciting, especially when Everton were on top at home. Uh, the fans got behind them. So even if you're an away supporter, it's always hard to, to get on top of that. But look, I'm with everybody else. I mean, I think if you look at the stadiums now and all the ones that you've just reeled off, and this, this is not just even just in the Premier League, even in the Championship, you know, clubs are now changing their stadiums for, for new BT ones. But this... This actual uh, Everton stadium, I'm looking forward to it because I've seen the, the drawings and the, the 3D, like and you can go through it all, and it looks absolutely brilliant. I think you're quite right. I think Everton are having a good season now. Even if you look in the league, you know they're they're only just outside. Well, the three points behind Chelsea, so they've got the game in hand. So that could be you know getting knocking on doors of uh, Champions League spots. And they've got a fabulous manager now that I think has really organised them. And they've got a fabulous young team as well. Some of the players in their side uh, are, doing, are doing really well. So I think it's, I think it's go for it, Everton, and uh, and, um, and flex your muscles. Um, it's an interesting uh, discussion, this one, because you can't lose sight of what these uh, new stadiums bring to uh, the communities. I know Everton's going to have a legacy, community legacy project at Goodison Park, so it's not as if Goodison will be lost to the history and tradition and culture of the club. Um, And they do have a a new opportunity to create a legacy. I I guess uh, where stadium... Um, new stadiums miss the mark is when is when the the club cultures are not uh, encapsulated in the new design. And I think the the point you made, Derek, about Tottenham's a good one. Um, what I'd like to see, and I know this might be um, not probably what Dean is expecting to hear, but there is safe standing room now, and um, standing room could return at Goodison Park uh, potentially. Um, you know, th- those types of initiatives could help make the stadium a uh, a significant new. Um, you know, icon in English football. However, it needs to be managed correctly. Well, guys, I think this discussion merits uh, a little longer. So um, as we get a little closer to these plans evolving and uh, and coming to fruition, uh, we might put this one back on the agenda and uh, and talk a, a little more. Maybe have somebody from Everton on uh, to discuss it. We've got plenty of friends over there, Merseyside, who uh, would be more than willing to have a chat about it. So we, we might do that. All right, fellas, thanks. That was a great uh, show. Really enjoyed that. Talking to Catherine Orway, Richard Wilson, Roshane Thomas. Uh, we got through a lot, and we hope you enjoyed it as well. And we hope you join us again next week on Box the Box when we go from one end of the pitch to the other in the world game.